Jesus said, and this verse isn't on the screen, but Jesus said in Matthew, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force. And I, I love that verse, you know, and, and Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault. And, and if, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that, that your life as a Christian in the kingdom of God, it suffers violent assault. There, there's an attack against us, against the church, against what we stand for, for, for Christ. And, um, and the Bible says, there, there, and Jesus said that there is a, there's a violent assault against what we do. There's, there's opposition. And you, you've heard me say this before as your pastor, but um, there's, there's opposition. And, and Christians should not be surprised when there's opposition. It's, it's amazing. You know, we get saved and we love God and God loves us and he forgives us. And I think a lot of people just think, you know, we're going to be rich and we're going to be blessed and everything's going to be great and we're not going to have any problems. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So it's important for us to know and to remind ourselves um, that there will be opposition. So when we think of opposition um, as a Christian and as a church, you know, what are, what are some of the major forces that are opposed to the church? You know, we can just rattle off some things. Well, the first one that should come to mind is the devil. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So, so the number one enemy that we have is Satan. It's Lucifer. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's not a man with, with a pitchfork and horns. It's a, it's a spirit. It's a demonic spiritual force that's in principalities and powers that is opposed to the church and is opposed to us. So obviously the devil um, would be right at the top of the list if we had to come up with a major force that is opposed to us. Um, the second one would be the world. Um, the Bible says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of, um, the pride of life, and, uh, is, not of the wor- is not of the Father, but of the world. So the world is against us. And then um, the governments, you know, we, we think, well, the governments are good. Well, they're, they're, they're not. They're, 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 they're against God. And really the Bible tells us that we are living in an antichrist world. You know, we, we're, the antichrist is coming, but the Bible says the spirit of the antichrist is already here. And again, if, you're a, if, you're a, if you've been saved for any amount of time and you don't recognize that there's something that's like against you, for everything you're trying to do for God, then I don't know where you're at. There, there, there's opposition. There, there's forces. Your flesh, your flesh is against you. So those are the things that, that I believe are, um, are obvious things that, that we can recognize. But there are also obstacles that are more subtle that maybe we don't really think about that are against us. And there's, there's two of them that I just thought of immediately, and it was complacency and apathy. And um, they can be tied to the enemy because Satan uses all of these different things to work against us, but maybe we don't necessarily recognize them as being demonic or being strong forces that are against us. But when you think of complacency, and I just pulled this up online as a definition, it's when you're pleased, especially with oneself or one's merits, advantages, or situation, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. 
Um, it's in other words, you're just complacent. You, you just you live in your life, and 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 everything's all right, and and every and every, everything you're doing is fine, and there's there's no need to change or to do anything different. And then apathy is um, is a lack of interest or concern. It's a lack of feeling or emotion. In other words, it's just like you know the. Think that things could be happening around me. Things could be happening in the world. I don't have any concern. There's no. There's, there's a lack of emotion. I'm apathetic. I'm. I'm, ap- I'm there's apathy about those things, and those two things. Um, and really, if you sum them both up, it's basically saying that I'm okay, and everybody else is okay. So I don't need to do anything. And we know with the Christian, that's not accurate. I'm not okay, and the world's not okay. I need to change, and I need to get change to the world. And so that's fighting against those things. But, but really, I believe complacency and apathy, especially in the church, um, can really pose just as great a danger as the, as the devil and as government and as the world and all those things. Sometimes they can even be more deadly, you know, because they're subtle. They're not as uh, recognizable or as noticeable um, in our lives. So, but what does apathy and complacency have in common? If you had to sum it up, a lack of urgency. There's no, there's no sense of urgent need to do something because every because I've convinced myself that everything that everything is okay. So what what is urgency? Um, it's the quality of being uh, it's the quality of being very important or needing attention immediately, pressing importance, requiring speedy action. In other words, there, there's something so pressing that it's urgent. And, it dem- and it's like it requires my immediate attention. I-, I have to get to it right away. So as I was thinking of urgency and thinking of the world and th- the things that the world views, you know, what are some of the things the world deems urgent? Um, well, money. The, the, you know, money's right at the top. And if you, know, if you look at the news or you, you, know, you, you read any news articles or any, or any friends that you have, the, the world is saturated and surrounded by the, the love of money, the urgency for money, the worry for money, the anxiety for money, all of those things. It's tied around money, um, retirement, savings, stock markets, all those things to do with money. Um, and then, of course, our work. I mean, the, I think the world would, would define their work as, as something that is urgent. And then when we look at the government, um, and this is something I disagree with, but Climate change is right at the list. You know that that's like an urgent, pressing matter, and we can debate all of that all along we want. In my personal opinion, this is just David speaking. I disagree with that, um, but that that's what they deem as pressing and as urgent. And of course, social issues, all the different things that we, that, that that we hear about. But when we when we push that to the side and we come back to the church and we look at ourselves as Christians, um, what are the things? That, that is, what is it that drives the church? In other words, what, is, what is it that, that compels us to do what we do? You know, what are we driven by? And um, there's several things we could mention. I think one of them would be fellowship. We, we desire to connect with one another. We want to communicate. We want to we embrace. We want to speak to one another. We want to build one another up. And so that's one of the things that I, I believe compels us to, to come together as a church's fellowship. Another one is worship. You know, you should be moved as a Christian to want to worship God. There should be something in your spirit 
something somewhere that says, I gotta, I gotta worship God at the very minimum out of thankfulness, that I'm just thankful. I'm a Christian, that Jesus died for me. And, and, but I'll, I'll look at more as that we're worshiping the only God, the only true God. And just as that song said, let his praise, let his praise be glorious. We could never over-glorify God. <laughs> we can never do praise him too much. You can never worship him too much. So, so those are all, all, all reasons. But really, urgency above everything should be what drives everything we do. There, was that, there should be a, the church should have an urgent push for what we do. The Christian, individually, we should have an urgency about our walk with God. So I've said this before, um, what we do here in church, and this is really hard to combat with the world we live in, this is not a religious setting. This is not a religion. It's not a, a, a check of the box. You know, I've, I got my family, I got my job, I, you know, I got all these different hobbies, whatever different things, and then one of the things that's in my life is religion. No, it's, it's, not, it's not religion, it's our life. It encompasses everything that you and I do. And when you read the Bible, um, it's imperative for us to separate that from religion because the Bible talks about matters of life and death, and not just physical life and death, but eternal life and death. So that, that supersedes religion, and that gets into matters of my life and my family and the people that I know and, and that, that, I'm, that I have. So, so when we look at the, at the urgency and this is the message title, is the message of salvation demands urgency. The, the, the message, the gospel message of the cross and of, the, of everything that the Bible speaks of Christ, it demands an urgent response from the church. There can be no less. We, we, cannot, we cannot just sit back and, and, and in a complacent, apathetic way, just think, well, everything's just going to work out. Or it's, it's just going to happen and God's just going to make the no. The church needs to operate with urgency. And, and I, as a pastor and even as a believer, I recognize that that's not always the case. In our church or in the church globally or in, or in our lives individually. And so really this is the word that God, you know, a lot of times when I'm seeking God for a message, sometimes it's a scripture or a passage that God will give me, but really God just dropped in my spirit an urgency. He, 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 he just dropped that in my spirit. And I knew that's what it was. God wanted me to, to speak to the church. And almost like a, like a wake-up call that, that God, is, God is asking us to kind of self-evaluate ourselves to where we're at. So Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and we know most of us know this scripture. It says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so if we look at that verse, um, what's the most significant word in the verse? I believe it's must. It doesn't say there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved, or we might be saved, or we should be saved. We must be saved. In other words, what, what, is, what, is the, what, what is that saying? It's urgent. It's not, um, it's not optional. That it, it's not like, well, 
you know what, that Jesus stuff, that's for me and that's for my family, but for everybody else, that Jesus stuff ain't for them. No, it's for everybody. The, we, they must be saved. So I think when we, when we begin to look at the Bible and the way the Bible speaks of the urgency, I believe it will begin to change the way we approach Christianity and church. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? And that Because sometimes we like, well, we create, you know, our own, I guess, arena of what church is or what, you know, what God wants us to do. But really, it's found in the Bible. We go to the Bible for what, what God says. And when just that one verse, I mean, there's a lot of important words, and that salvation is found in no one else. We, we, what, what, who's the no one else? It's Jesus Christ. That's, that's not, it, it's not multiple choice. Christ is the only way. But I believe, for me, when I read that, the word that jumps out is you, you must be saved. So, so that, 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 to me, that, that denotes a sense, a sense of urgency. So I believe God wants to remind his church um, that what we do is urgent. That what we do in this church, what you do, really, this is more urgent than anything else you do. It, it, it's, it's, it's really more important than anything else you do. I was reading this morning in the one-year Bible, the passage of Scripture where Jesus was in a house and he was ministering and preaching the Word and uh, Jesus' mother and uh, brothers came and they were knocking on the door and the people that was around, Jesus said, Jesus, your, your, your mom's out there and your brothers are out there. You know, go, go see about them. And Jesus just paused, you know, as he does. He looked around and says, these are my mothers and these are my brothers right here. In other words, that, that's what he deemed as important. So, so we need to remind ourselves that what we do is the most urgent thing on the earth. The gospel is the most urgent thing on the earth. The, the kingdom of God, that God's plan and will and purpose is the most urgent thing that we do. And I've said this before, we get to play a part of that. We're a small part, but we're part of the larger church that makes up the church, the body of Christ, that encompasses the whole, the whole world. So um, I believe that God is asking us, including myself, to take a self-evaluation of ourselves to see if apathy and complacency have crept in. And I mean, I'm not, I, I, can't, I, don't, I can't speak for you. I can look at my life and I can step, step back with my life and say, you know, am I, have I allowed complacency and apathy to interfere with the urgent message of the gospel? That's something I believe God would want us to, 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 to take an honest look at. Have we lost the sense of urgency we once possessed? Um, there's been times in my life that, that God, that the Holy Spirit has just engulfed me and um, that there's been moments where God has just moved in my spirit to go and just to go share the gospel. That should be, that should be present every day. The, that, that, urgent, that urgent call that God, that God has for us. Has other things or people become more urgent than the message of salvation? Is there something else that, that consumes your life or my life that is more important than the message of salvation? I can't think of anything more important, but I believe we allow things to come in that we spend more time with, we dwell on, we meditate on, that, that, that is not as important as the gospel. I'm not saying other things in our life are not important. They are. But nothing supersedes salvation. That, that's the most important thing that, that, we can, that we can tell someone. So this message, is in, as any message that I speak, I hope it's always received in this way, is not meant to condemn us but rather to convict us 
and to challenge us of the urgency of the hour. Because the hour is urgent. The, the time is urgent that, that, that people turn. And, and I believe really, and you know, God's working all things out, the Bible says, but really the darker that world gets, I believe the greater the draw and the hunger will be for people who want to know what the truth of God is. That it, 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 it's almost like God, we, we think, well, the darker things get, nobody wants to know about Jesus, but really, what does that do? That makes people more desperate. They're desperate. They're, they've hit the bottom. They, they, they're, they're, they're rock bottom. They're bo- they've bottomed out. They, 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 they find no hope in the world, no hope in anything. They, they, they're looking up, where's my hope? The church has the answer. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only hope for our world. So I'm going to look at a passage here in Mark chapter 2. And, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Bible. This is, this is a fascinating story. All, the whole Bible should fascinate us. But, but this one, I believe, is extremely fascinating. It's always been a fun story for me to read. I don't think I've ever preached from it before, but I've read it several times. And many of you will be real familiar with it as well. So it's in Mark chapter 2. It says, a few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What a remarkable story. And you know what I love about this story? It really happened. That, that really did take place. That's not a parable. That's a true story that someone recorded as they watched Jesus do this. And this is just one of probably thousands. The, you know, the Bible, when you read the Gospels, it's just giving us a small snapshot of the life of Jesus. It's not recording every single uh, healing, every single uh, dead raising, every single miracle, demon possession, all those things. It's just a small snapshot. Jesus did that everywhere he went, the Bible says. But I don't know about you, I love the story. It's just, it's just extremely, extremely fascinating. And, um, and I believe that um, we can learn a lot as a Christian and as a church about the urgency of the gospel when we study this story. So um, what's the first thing I believe we need to see here? Well, in verse 2, it says, A few days later, um, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So the first thing we need to see here is people need to hear about Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. 
Um, the Bible says because of the miraculous healings, people began to hear the name of Jesus. The church can speak no greater message than the name of Jesus. That does not, the, the, church is, the church does a lot of things. We don't do as many things as other churches do because I believe it's imperative for us to zone in on the message of the gospel and to keep ourselves focused on what the word of God says. And that's the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so, but there's no greater message and no greater name that we can speak. And really, if you think about it, the seeker-friendly mentality of a lot of churches in our country has found its way in the church because of the void left by not speaking the name of Jesus. When you don't speak the name of Jesus in your church, guess what happens? Something else fills the void. Whether it's man or, you know, our way of thinking or whatever, and, and, and I'm not going to allow that to happen in this church. This church will speak Jesus. That, that's, people need to hear about Jesus. We, we can't save anybody. I, I, can't save, I can't save no one, but Jesus can. So what do I do? I speak the name of Jesus. The Bible says they, they, heard, they heard that Jesus was doing all these things. So what did they do? They gathered all around him. You know, Jesus said that, that signs and wonders will follow those who... Who, who, who follow Christ. I'm, I'm believing for signs and wonders in this church. We need to be asking for that. That people begin to hear in Covington and St. Tammany and different areas of this parish that something's going on at the tabernacle. i got to go find out what's happening. And guess who we're going to introduce them to? Jesus. Not our religion, not our church. We're going to introduce you to Jesus. See, God has given the church a voice. It's a powerful voice, but it comes with a responsibility. And we can use our voice in, in many different forms and, and, and places. But the, message, uh, the, but the message the voice of the church needs to be speaking is that Jesus saves. That's the voice that we speak. So we're not, we're not speaking a religion. We're not, we're not, this is not a religion. So many people, I've, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone to witness to someone, and they always say, well, this is my religion, or... And I don't, I don't criticize them, especially if they're not Christians. They don't really understand what they're saying. But everybody, as soon as you mention God or the Bible or Christianity, the first thing that they associate that with is religion. It's not. It's Jesus. So what you need to do is you have to be tactful in the way you speak to people. And without, we're not going to judge them or beat them up. What I do is I just take the conversation and I, I pivot back I say, well, that's okay. You, you believe that, this religion or whatever? Let's find out what the Bible says. See, that, that takes away the argument because he's going to try to argue about what, what his religion says or whatever and say, no, it's not, it's not a religion. Let's just find out what God says. And you just take him to the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit just to give you scriptures, things that you've remembered in your, in your spirit versus the scripture. And hopefully God will give you one, just that one we said there in Acts 4.12, no other, even if it was just that one verse that you share with someone, that's huge because you've directed them to where? To Jesus. You've discounted everything else. So, um, and we're not, we're not uh, the church is not speaking self-help. You know, that's the big thing now is all these self-help courses and these 10-step, 12-step, 15-step, whatever-step programs. And all that. Because I'm not what the church does. The only step is the one step. It's one step to Jesus. That's the step we do. It's not, it's not 10, 15, or 20. Now, there, there might be systems in place that we, 
that we take where we lead people through things. We, we baptize people. We want to get them through an encounter retreat. We want to get them discipled, all those different things. But, but really, the only step they need to take is Jesus. I, I, I need to get them. So they have to hear about Jesus. And then, you know, the other big thing that, that's real prevalent is, you know, if I can just start thinking positive, <laughs> positive thinking. Well, what, what, is, what is your positive thinking based on? Well, uh, education, philosophy. It's got to be God. It's got to be the Bible. <laughs> it's got it's to be Jesus. So, so the church, we speak Jesus. So really, if you think about it, and this is where the responsibility falls, the church is God's mouthpiece in the world today. We, we are the mouthpiece of God. That, that, that's, the, that's the obligation and responsibility God has given us. The Bible says God has given us the message of reconciliation, that God is no longer counting man's sins against them. But if we would come to Christ, God would forgive them. God, God is now reconciling a sinful man to a holy God. How? What's the bridge? It's Jesus. It's the cross. That, that's our message. And God has given the church that message. There's a lot of messages we could be speaking, but the only one I find in the Bible that we have to speak is the, is the message of Jesus, the, that people have to hear about Jesus. So Romans 10, 14 it says, how, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It, the Bible says that how is someone going to know about Jesus unless someone speaks Jesus to them? How, how are they going to hear the name of Jesus? It's going to be us, the church. We're, we're going to share the name of Jesus. So um, first and foremost, the most important thing that we speak, and that, that doesn't mean we don't love people, we counsel people, we, you know, if, if there's marriage counseling, if there's finances, all those things, of course we share with them wisdom and understanding of those things. But ultimately, the, the, the primary word, the message, it's Jesus. That's, that's it. They have to hear the name of Jesus. So the next thing we see in this is in Mark 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get, into, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. The next thing we see here is people need to get to Jesus. They don't just need to hear about Jesus. They need to get, they need to, get to Jesus. And um, notice um, these men, um, they had to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. You know, I think we miss a lot of this in the story when we look at this, but they were determined to get this man to Jesus. They heard that this man heals. The, the Bible doesn't give the relationship with this man. i got to think he was a friend uh, maybe for some of them it was, an, it, was a, it was a family member. It could have been a brother, an uncle, a father. I don't know who it was. But they, they, were, they were determined that this man has got to get to Jesus. They heard, they heard Jesus. They, they heard that Jesus was healing. Now, what was the next step? We've got to get him there. We've we, we got to get him there. So, so, um, so the Bible says, um, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I doubt that these men were cutting holes. These men were cutting holes 
in doctor offices or hospitals. They, they didn't hear of any miracles going on in any doctor offices or hospitals. They heard the miracle that Jesus was healing. Doesn't say they were cutting holes anywhere else except holes to get to Jesus. They heard that Jesus healed. So one thing I want to point out in this verse of Scripture, um, I don't know if you could put that back up there, Ruby, the, uh, the previous verses there. It, it says, notice it says, it says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, I've always read that thinking that it was only four men that approached Jesus, but that's not what the, that's not what the Scripture says. It says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So there was more than four. There was a group. I don't know how many it was. It could have been 10, 12, 15, 20, but there was a group of men. And you know what that does to me? That gives me a picture of the church, that, that they were working together as a team to get this man help to Jesus. That, that to me, that's, a, that's an illustration of God's church, that they were all working in concert to get this man help. And, you know, I, I'd love to know who, whose idea was it that stood up and said, you know what, we're going to cut a hole in the roof. Wouldn't you like to know who it was that said that? I, I can tell you I pro that probably wouldn't have been me. That would have been Lee. Lee, Lee would have did that. Lee would, I, that, I wouldn't have said that. I, I don't know what I would have did, but I'd been like, I wouldn't even have thought of that. I'd love to know whose idea it was to say, let's cut a hole in the roof. But that's exactly what they did. And you look at that, and you look at that, what was it? They were not deterred. They, they would not be moved. And a lot of times the church, we feel moved by God to say something or to do something, but when one little obstacle comes up, what do we do? We just stop. Say, ah, you know, maybe, maybe God really wasn't saying this was, we should come now. And if you think about it, they could have said that. They could have said, you know what? Jesus is here tonight or today or whatever it was, and all these people are in this room, and, and Jesus is healing. Man, it said it was so crowded that they were standing by the door. So that leads me to believe that, say this was the room, that they were packed out there by the stairwell. Like they were trying to look. They, they could only barely look through the door. They couldn't get in, but they were trying to look. And even that was, was blocked off. And, 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 they, and they, were trying to, they, they were trying to get through. And, and really, again, that, that's it. But they were not, they were not deterred. They, they would not be moved by that. And they could have said, you know what, we'll, we'll come back another time. Maybe Jesus will have this service tomorrow night. No. The urgency said, we've got to do it now. And see, that's the urgency the church has to get, that we're not going to be deterred by obstacles and, 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 and challenges and all these different things. Obstacles are going to come up. Barriers are going to come up. There's always going to be something that's going to be opposed to you and I speaking the name of Jesus. But we cannot be deterred. Why? Because the message is urgent. It's got to happen. These, these men, they had to get their friend to Jesus. Somehow, some way, they had to get they had to get the man to Jesus, and uh, you know, you, you you look at this, and um, so they they cut a hole in the roof. They they, they were determined to do this, and um, my wife and I um, this past uh, what was it Wednesday? Was it Wednesday? Yeah, we went. Y'all y'all know we are um, we we're not connected, but we're connected in a financial sense with the New Orleans mission which I, I'm proud of that. We, um, the New Orleans mission is located on the south shore of New Orleans and probably one of the worst areas in the city, if you've ever seen where their location is. Um, we, we, we support the New Orleans mission through our um, lighthouse missions arm. We have, a, we have a whole 
missions on we've created as a church called Lighthouse Missions. It's on your app. You can go find that. Um, um, we dedicate a portion of our budget to go toward Lighthouse Missions, but we also encourage you individually to give to, give to that above your tithe. And this is one of the things that we support is the New Orleans Mission. And um, we've been to their facilities before, and they have... They have two facilities on the North Shore. They have a women's retreat in Hammond called Lynn, called Lynn Haven Retreat. Um, they have cottages that they've built over there. They take in battered women, women with uh, drug abuse, you know, drugs, whatever. And they, they even have um, facilities that, that are capable of housing women with children. And, and so that's there. And then in Lacombe, they have, a, they have a facility called Giving Hope Retreat. And uh, Wayne Hill and, and Mike... Um, we went, and y'all did this last year, we, we collected those, um, those baskets for Thanksgiving. We, we did the Thanksgiving baskets, and we delivered those to the Given Hope Retreat because that's where they have a, um, there's a food pantry over there. But I'm just saying this to tell you, I had been to the Lynn Haven Retreat, and I've been to Given Hope, but I've never toured the facility in New Orleans, and I, I wanted to go there. So they had, a, they had like an open house for people who were partnering with them to give. So Laura and I went there. And I'm just always so moved that David Botner is the, uh, he's the CEO, he's the director of the whole organization, and their heartbeat, and Lori can tell you this, they bleed people. I, I, you know, I walk away, even as a pastor, and I walk away from them, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not doing nothing. You know, they're doing the church, and we're sitting there, and he's giving a presentation, and we're right there, and as we're there gathered, you could see through the window, they had the people that were coming in from off the street. I'm telling you, y'all, when you walk there, it's one of the worst areas. It's, it's, in the, it's underneath the, uh, the, the, um, the uh, Pontchartrain Expressway overpass that leads to the, uh, to the, to the uh, river. And uh, they got the tents and all that kind of stuff. It's set up right there. And, and I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a bad place. But, but they are right there in the middle of that. And they, they are meeting people's needs where they are. And he said this. He said, he said when someone comes to the facility... They don't ask them any questions. They, they are welcome to stay there for 21 days, no questions asked. That, that matter what, they can't continue to like bring in drugs or alcohol, all those things, but if that's what you were doing when you walked up to the door, you could be loaded at the door. You could be drunk, all those different things, it doesn't matter. They will accept you just as you are. And they come in for 21 days and then the, the, the program takes it to another level uh, where if you get into the program, you, you transition over to the Lynn Haven and to the Given Hope, you know, whatever it is. But I say this to say this, um, that David Botner has a sense of urgency to what he does. And it's a sense of excellence and professionalism. They're very, the, the place was immaculate, they're very professional and all that. But it just showed me, that it, it, to me it was an image and a picture of, the, of really, not that that's, that's better than what we do, but to me, that's the church. That's the church. I mean, they, they just right there, and, and you know what he said? He gave numbers of all the thousands of people that they feed every month, but he said that doesn't include the people that, that, will, not come, that will not come to the mission. So guess what they do? They go where they are, to the tents and to the place where they are, and they, and they, and they give them food and all those kind of things. They, they, they just go spread the, the love of Jesus and all. And, and, and I just share that to say, that, that was, what, what, how, what was that birth from? What, what birthed that, that, that move, that mission? Urgency. You know, and we look at that, and I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes. I'm like, you know, those people are in the tents, and they say, you get a life, and, 
and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, something in their life caused him to get to that place. And he said, nobody should have to live in a box or a tent. That, that's not our destiny. That's not destiny for anybody, no matter what your life was. But something in their life led them to that dire situation. And, um, but, but it's just a beautiful picture. So I'm, I'm proud and pleased to know that, that in a small way, um, we are connected to that. And one thing he did say that really kind of moved me, and this is, I guess, a, a commercial for, for Lighthouse Missions, but I'm really trying to get the church to, the more we can give, the more we can do. And, um, but he's, I, I, when he mentioned the 21 days, he said, he said, after the 21 days, they, they let him go. And I know there's more to the program than the 21 days. So after he finished his presentation, I just put my hand up. I said, i got to ask you, why wouldn't y'all take the people that decided to stay for 21 days and just go ahead and push them through the rest of the program? And he said, because there isn't enough beds. There's not enough beds. And look, they get a lot of money. The businesses, even some of the businesses in New Orleans that are not what you would consider godly Christian businesses, they, they, give, they give tons of money to this. So they, and they, they do a lot. I mean, they do a lot of things. You can Google it online if you want the New Orleans mission. But I'm just, I'm just sharing that to, to say, as, as God was giving me this message, he, he, it just really convicted me that there's an urgency to what they do. That, and they could be deterred a lot. They could make all kinds of excuses. And, you know, people, they don't care. And, they, you know, we feed these people and they still don't. No, they're just they're meeting people where they are. And that's what the church does. That, that's really so, so that, that is birth. And see, they're not, they're not allowing the inconvenience of the area that, that it's in and all that kind of stuff to stop them. They, they dig in holes through roofs. They, they're doing whatever it takes to get to people. And really, that's, what, that's, that's the sense of urgency that God is asking us to get, not, not just as a church corporately, but individually. Am I doing whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus? Am I willing to go cut a hole? I mean, think about this. I, I got to think the owner of the house was probably not pleased with that. And you took a risk by being criticized. I mean, think about it. You, that, that was, and even if you think about this, and the story didn't say this, so you think, well, that never happened, but it could have. Even Jesus could have criticized them, potentially. We, 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 don't, we don't know what his reaction would have been. But we know he didn't. He, he was moved by their faith, the Bible says. And they, 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 so imagine, imagine what that, imagine what that looked like. And to me, that is a perfect illustration of the urgency of the church. That we got to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Not to religion, not to a denomination, not to a self-help, seven-step, eight-step program. We got to get people to Jesus. That, 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 to me, the, and, what drives that? What's the driver? Urgency. It's urgent. They, they got to know. It's like, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I wake up, my life, my family, my home, my, you know, my, my world, and I'm not worried about nobody else. But urgency says everybody needs Jesus. And, and we ask God to show us, give us ways, Father, that, that divine appointments that we can meet people. Antoine does it on his job. He and he prays, he asks, he, he prays to God for that. That God, this day, when, I, when I'm in my job, uh, uh, make an assignment. Direct me to someone. And he can tell you, you have heard him uh, give testimonies here at the church. 
God has directed him to hundreds of people, probably thousands, that, that Antoine has had an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with. They're everywhere. They're all around us. What did the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say pray for the harvest. What does the Bible say? Pray for laborers. Who are the laborers? Not the government. The government's not going to spread the name of Jesus, I promise you. The church. It's the church's responsibility. And, and I believe we'll, we'll do that. We'll do it out of a sense of urgency. So what, what can you do to get the spirit of urgency? How, how, can, how can we regain that spirit if it's been lost? Well, the first thing is identify areas of complacency. Just be honest. Just be real honest with yourself. If I come complacent, have I just decided that I'm okay when I'm not? I don't think any of us are ever okay. I don't care how long you've been saved. God can always make me better. He can do something different in us. Have we become satisfied with where we are as, as Christians? Has complacency prevented you from seeing your need to change? The second thing is ask the Lord to show you areas of apathy. Have you become numb to the needs of others? Uh, I, I've done, I mean, we, if you go downtown New Orleans, you, we, we drive by those tents, you drive by that area, you can become numb. It's just like, oh, look, that's, that's where they live. That, you know, that's, that's, what they're, that's where they're at, okay? Instead of saying, what can I do? If it's not that, there's another need. God, what, what can I do? Have, have, I, have I become apathetic? Is there a lack of emotion or energy for the things of God? That's a big one. I mean... I mean, you ask yourself, and, I, and I'm guilty of this, and it's probably because of Ray, but I get more excited about the saints sometimes than I do about God. That's because of Ray. Ray. Ray made me like that. But have we allowed things in our life and our world to substitute God and the things of, of, the, of, of, of salvation and the Bible? We all, we all can raise, I can raise up two hands. God, you know, and only God can rearrange that and, re and reorder that. And then we can ask the Lord to give us eyes to see what he sees. See, Jesus always saw what the disciples never saw. Remember with the, you know, the, the woman at the well. You know, he's, he, he, they, all they saw was, why are you talking to a woman and why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? That's all they saw. But what did Jesus see? Someone who needed to be healed and forgiven. <laughs> Someone who needed living water. So what, what do I need to do? God, give me the eyes of Jesus to see what he sees, not what David sees. I have to ask for that. And, God, and God's going to give it to us because that's what he wants. That's what he wants for his church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what God wants us to see. That, that's urgent. See, that was urgent. That's what Jesus, Jesus didn't see crowds. He saw, he saw sheep without a shepherd who were harassed and, and needed a shepherd. They, they needed direction. They, they needed life, literally life. And Jesus was, was the life. So amen. You can stand to your feet. This is only part one of this message. If you, I'm going to give you a little teaser. If you come back next week, you can get the rest of the message. And uh, I was going to do it just in one message, and God stopped me and said, don't try to cram this thing all in in one message. Let's just try to slow down a little bit and really try to 
absorb what it is that God is saying. So, um, uh, but what, isn't that a fascinating story? Am I the only one that loves that kind of stuff? I, I mean, and don't you just start getting these visuals in your mind of like, you know, when you when you hear when you hear the the description of what happened, then you start thinking about well, what, what was because they were digging in the roofs, so and our roofs were probably like hay or mud. But you just kind of start getting a vision of what that looked like, you know, when they were doing that, and then then the you know. How did they lo they they lowered the mat, and and then I'm I'm getting a vision of what you know Jesus is sitting there, and I'm just thinking about that mat just dropping right in front of him, and he loved that. Why? Because he loves faith. He loves faith. It's awesome, and that's what God wants to do for us. But it takes. See, they were urgent. Too. They man, it didn't matter. There could have been ten million people by that door. <laughs> they were getting that guy to Jesus. They had to, because it was urgent. And that's what God wants to give his church. Amen.